Well, the sermon will be on Exodus 5 and 6. We're only going to read Exodus chapter 5 uh, this morning. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Let my people go, so that they may hold a festival to me in the wilderness. Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. Then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Now let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God, or he may strike us with plagues or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said, Moses and Aaron, why are you taking the people away from their labour? Get back to your work. Then Pharaoh said, Look, the people of the land are now numerous and you are stopping them from working. That same day Pharaoh gave this order to the slave drivers and overseers in charge of the people. You are no longer to supply the people with straw for making bricks. Let them go and gather their own straw. But require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. They are lazy. That is why they are crying out, let us go and sacrifice to our God. Make the work harder for the people so that they keep working and pay no attention to lies. Then the slave drivers and the overseers went out and said to the people, This is what Pharaoh says, I will not give you any more straw. Go and get your own straw wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced at all. So the people scattered all over Egypt to gather stubble to use for straw. The slave drivers kept pressing them, saying, Complete the work required of you for each day, just as when you had straw. And Pharaoh's slave drivers beat the Israelite overseers they had appointed, demanding, Why haven't you met your quota of bricks yesterday or today as before? Then the Israelite overseers went and appealed to Pharaoh, Why have you treated your servants this way? Your servants are given no straw, yet we are told, Make bricks! Your servants are being beaten, but the fault is with your own people. Pharaoh said, Lazy, that's what you are, lazy. That is why you keep saying, Let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Now get to work. You will not be given any straw, yet you must produce your full quota of bricks. The Israelite overseers realised they were in trouble when they were told, You are not to reduce the number of bricks required of you for each day. When they left Pharaoh, they found Moses and Aaron waiting to meet them, and they said, May the Lord look on you and judge you. You have made us obnoxious to Pharaoh and his officials and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Moses returned to the Lord and said, Why, Lord, why have you brought trouble on this people? Is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has brought trouble on this people, and you have not rescued your people at all. Thanks, Sherry. Morning, folks. Look at me. Look at this. Paperless and everything. Let's see how this goes. I don't know how it's going to work. Um, <clears throat> I'm just learning how to use an iPad, and I thought, hey, why not put a sermon on there? Let's see what that works. But anyways, uh, look, welcome along. My name's Tim. I'm one of the pastors here. If you're new or visiting, a special welcome to you. Youth Church, it is your, ch- your chance to head out with Rob and Mike. We'll see you on your way back. But uh, I pray that you're um, you know, feeling welcome, encouraged. Please stick, uh, have uh, that part of uh, God's Word open, Exodus 5 and Exodus 6. It's where we're going to be dipping into today and um, asking God to continue to reveal and remind us. And uh, as we start, would you pray with me? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do. We ask that you would help us again as we open your Word. Lord, as we've said already, we pray that you would reveal or remind us as necessary of the truths about who you are 
the truths about what you've done, the truths about what you're doing, so that we would know you more clearly, trust you more deeply, and follow you more closely by the help of your Spirit. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Right, a quick look at the screen, folks. What do these activities have in common? I always like some sort of quirky beginning. Uh, what have we got? We've got a picture of someone blowing bubbles. There's the first thing. We've got a picture of someone holding hands. There's the second thing. Um, owning a fish, the third thing. Or using a selfie stick. What do these activities have in common? Show them all together there so we can get a bit of a broad. What's the common theme here? Anyone, anyone, anyone? I didn't think you'd get it because they're quite random, aren't they? Would you believe that these are all illegal activities in specific countries? These are illegal. Blowing bubble gum in Singapore, that is a no-no. That is outlawed. In, in fact, since 1992, after a significant public vandalism attempt, uh, I think on the, uh, the transport network, I don't know how you use bubble gum to disrupt the transport system, but apparently they did. And in fact, the Singaporean government looked and they were spending $150,000 a year on cleaning up public housing because of chewing gum and bubble gum. So they canned all importing, all selling and all making. Who's making their own bubble gum? But they've canned it. It is now illegal in Singapore to chew. Holding hands is illegal in Dubai. In fact, all public displays of affection, kissing, holding hands, hugging, any of that, not on. Conservative Islamic government, you cannot show public, the old PDAs, public displays of affection. No. Owning less than two fish is a violation of Sweden's animal cruelty laws. Who'd have figured I thought they couldn't remember past five seconds, but apparently they can in Sweden. And so if you own a fish, you need to own at least two or more. And of course, using a selfie stick, outlawed in Milan. Actually, let's be honest, probably should be outlawed everywhere. And if it was, Luke Hipwell would be the most wanted man in the world. <laughs> Always swinging a selfie stick. Anyway, essentially, because of the tourist destination, everyone waving a selfie stick becomes a huge public health hazard. Not on in Milan to use a selfie stick. Now, what do these laws mean for us today? What, what, what import do they have for us here right now? No, nothing, do they? Nothing, nothing. Why not? Because we live in Australia. We live under a different jurisdiction. We're obligated to live under different laws, the laws of this land, not of that land. But should you travel to Singapore? Should you travel to Dubai or Sweden or Milan in Italy? Your obligations change. You'd be under a different jurisdiction. You'd be under an obligation to different laws. Blow a bubble in Singapore, you know where you're headed, to the clink. There it is, bubble blowers arrested. Okay, that's not a Singaporean picture, but I thought it made the point. And get this, it's so important to know this, because ignorance of the law is no excuse. In fact, this is a very old legal principle. The Romans certainly had it first. In Latin, ignorantia juris non excusit. It means ignorance of the law excuses not. Essentially, if someone breaks the law of a land, he or she is still liable even if they had no knowledge of that law beforehand. Do you know that legal principle still exists in most places? You know that still exists here in Australia? In fact, you know it does, even in Australia. You see a tourist doing 60 in a 50 zone. What will happen? They'll get a ticket. They'll get a ticket. In fact, if you do 60 in a 50 zone, you'll get a ticket. I did the other week, actually, let's be honest. Full disclosure. I thought it was 60. I was probably going a little bit further than that. I was going down the hill in neutral. Anyways, no excuses, Tim. Excuse, ignorance of the law does not excuse. 
And why is that a reason? Because law is revealed, street signs, road signs, speed signs on the sides of roads. Law is revealed and the law is reminded through, in the speeding sense, ad campaigns. In fact, you recognize some of these. Speeding, you're in our sights. So what's the next one? Limit your speed or, and limit the damage. Or the next one, I like this one. It's very visual punchy, isn't it? Yikes. Billboards, advertising, law has been revealed, law has been reminded, ignorance of the law excuses not. Now, I raise these principles because they apply equally in our passage today. They, they apply in the time of Exodus as they do in our own day and age. Because law has been revealed, law is reminded, and ignorance of the law does not excuse But I'm not talking about the laws of countries or different countries. I'm talking about speed limit laws or goldfish ownership laws. I'm referring to generally here more the cosmic laws over all creation. I'm talking to here about the God who has revealed himself and revealed his laws and expectations of his creation and who reminds the people of his character and his laws and expectation. And he does this as king, as the sovereign, as the ruler over all creation, over all kingdoms, over every country. Friends, the truth I want you to be convinced again about today is that God reveals and God reminds and there is no excuse. Ignorance excuses not. And I want to look at this as we dip through... uh, Well, we're going to start in a little bit Exodus 4 and play it out in 5 and 6. I want to look at three major character groups in in Exodus, rather, who God has revealed himself to. Moses, the Israelites as a nation through their leaders, and Pharaoh, who represents Egypt as a whole. But let's look at them in each in turn. So have a look here. First, first character, Moses. Last week in Exodus 3 and 4, we saw God reveal himself personally to Moses in the account of the never-burning bush. We saw him reveal himself personally to Moses in that experience. And what did he reveal himself to be? If you can remember from last week, I try to push this out, I'll try to punctuate this, but God revealed himself to be the historical, relational God of Moses' ancestors, God of Abraham and Jacob and Isaac, He revealed himself to be the covenantal God, that is the promise-making God, the promise-keeping God, who has seen, who has heard, who is concerned, and who is going to act to deliver Israelites from slavery, return them, or in fact establish them in their own land. See how God revealed himself to be to Moses. And more than that, God revealed himself to be powerful beyond comprehension in fact he gave Moses those three miraculous signs to legitimize this mission that God was sending him on and God could do this because he revealed himself as the great I am Yahweh that's his name Yahweh a verb it's weird who is God he is I am no other way to describe him nothing else you could compare him to in all creation because as creator he is entirely other entirely different entirely unique entirely distinct he is holy 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 he is that's who God is now just stop and appreciate this huge event in Moses's life for a second I mean, can you imagine what it would have been like for Moses there? We read him in chapter 4. He's out in the desert, tending to the sheep. Can you imagine what this experience is like for him? It was unexpected. 
It was unplanned. It was undeniable and humanly speaking, inexplainable, unexplainable. I don't know which, which prefix you use there. Not explainable. I mean, it radically altered Moses' understanding of God. I think we can get from the text that Moses had a general concept of the God of his ancestors, but nothing like this. Nothing like the God who reveals himself powerfully, personally. God as the personal, powerful I am now instructs Moses directly. Here's what he's going to do. Here's how he intends to use Moses in the plan. In fact, have a look back to last week. We saw this. Exodus 3, verse 8. He says to Moses, I have come down to rescue them from the hand of Egyptians. And then verse 10, 3, verse 10. So now go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Can you imagine what that's like for Moses? He's been 40 years in, in Egypt. Now he's been 40 years shepherding sheep in the desert. And now God powerfully, personally and directly commands him. This is what we're going to do. Radically alters Moses' expectations of the God that he thought he knew. And though it, he expressed lots of hesitation, we saw it last week, it, God exploded every one of his excuses, one by one, patiently, mercifully. And actually, through God's patient provision now, Moses returns to Egypt. We didn't read it last week, but part of God's patient provision is actually giving Moses his brother Aaron to help him out. And so now Moses returns to Egypt, preparing to do as God has asked. And why does Moses prepare to do this? Because he's rightly convinced that this Yahweh... He is the highest authority in the universe. In fact, at the end of chapter 4, Moses seems to be tracking with this idea. He's finally come to understand the God who he knew vaguely. Now he knows personally. And though difficult and scary, he is committed to obeying. Just to help you sort of bring this into a personal applicationary sort of idea or to land this a little bit personally for us. It's a bit like Moses has had a personal conversion experience, if I can use a, a sort of a modern day Christian term. It's a bit like maybe you, the guy or girl who's grown up in a Christian family, aware of and accepting the fact that there is a God out there, but unaware of what that means for you personally. And then suddenly, unexpected, unplanned, undeniable and unexplainable, humanly speaking, God started to reveal himself to you, personally, powerfully. So that suddenly you want to know more about this God. Suddenly you might want to go to church. Suddenly you want to read your Bible or heard it taught. Suddenly you find yourself thinking about God constantly and you can't help to want to pray and talk to him, even though it seems a little bit weird, even though I'm not sure if I'm doing it right. But you suddenly want to walk with God, even as you're trying to work out what that means and how to do it well. Now, I make this point at this, uh, uh, right now, folks, because, do you know what? There's a really good thing happening here at Wagga Evangelical Church. We've got a lot of people in this category. Praise God we've got a lot of people in this category. We've got a lot of people who have just become Christians and started walking with Jesus, started following Jesus. We've got a bunch of people who are edging their way towards this end. This is fantastic because God is mercifully revealing himself by his spirit through his word. And though it is still a little bit disorienting, still a little bit confusing, you know that the God of the Bible is the ultimate authority in all creation. 
that his commands are the ones you should know and obey and trust. And I want to say, praise God if that is you here today. If that is you, if you are having that moment of a revelation of, from God through his word as you hear it, as you listen to it, as you wrestle to understand it, that he's revealing who he is and it's making you work out how to respond, praise God for that. Keep going, keep listening, keep learning, keep trusting God as you read his word. Keep praying that he'll help you obey. And the reason I want to say that to you folk in particular, if, that's, if you're in that category, I say this because the road ahead may get bumpy. In fact, it probably will. And what do I mean by that? I mean that recognizing that Yahweh, that is the God of the Bible, recognizing that he is the ultimate personal powerful authority in the universe, just knowing that or acknowledging this fact does not then therefore make it easily to follow and to trust him. You need to know that up front. <laughs> Don't be surprised by this. In fact, that's true for a whole heap of reasons. There's a whole heap of issues here. Human frailty is one of them. But one of the biggest factors, I think, is that not everyone will agree with you. In fact, some people will make explicit and specific difficulties for you to honor God above else if you become a Christian. Do you know that? It's what we actually see played out in the next bit of Exodus. We'll see this with Pharaoh. We'll see this. But I want to, I want to begin to look at the next character. In fact, let's have a look how God begins to reveal himself in this story to emphasize this point a little bit more. Because not only has he revealed himself to Moses and Aaron now, but Yahweh begins to reveal himself more clearly to the Israelites through Moses and Aaron. In fact, we read this at the end of chapter 4. Check it out with me again. Chapter 4, verses 29 to 31. Let's read this, this a couple of little verses. <coughs> Moses and Aaron brought together all the elders of the Israelites... And Aaron told them everything that Yahweh had said to Moses and performed the signs before the people, and they believed. And when they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and that he'd seen their misery, they bowed down and they worshipped. Now, just hear this for a second again. Yahweh, as he starts to reveal himself through Moses and Aaron, the Israelites saw the signs... They believed what Moses and Aaron were saying and they bowed down and worshipped. They bowed down. They actually recognized their lowly position before Yahweh and they worshipped. That is, they devoted themselves to praise and honor this Yahweh as supreme. That's their initial response. That's a good response, isn't it? Seems like an excellent response. Moses ought to be happy with that result. His concerns about Israel rejecting him or not listening to his message, not believing that Yahweh had sent him, all that seems to have gone out the window now. This is good. Moses has revealed Yahweh's identity. He's revealed his plan to Israel and they're on board. They're responding well. Terrific stuff. One down, one to go. Just got to tell Pharaoh now. How will he react to the news? Friends, we don't have to wait long to find out how Pharaoh reacts. In fact, have a look. Pick it up with me in chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. It's the very next verses. Afterwards, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, This is what Yahweh, the God of Israel, says. Let my people go, so that they may hold a festival to me in the wilderness. Pharaoh said, who is the Lord? Who is Yahweh that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know Yahweh and I will not let Israel go. 
<laughs> That's going to be a problem, isn't it? Didn't quite go as Moses had hoped. Pharaoh's response, less encouraging than Israel's response. But can you understand why, friends? I mean, Pharaoh's response might be decidedly less than Moses was hoping for, but it's thoroughly honest. I mean, let's be honest, who is Yahweh that he should obey him? You've got to imagine, who is Pharaoh? He is the, the leader of a world superpower. He's got domestic issues to worry about. He's got international concerns to worry about. Plus, he's got a host of his own Egyptian gods. To, you know, he's got to please them too. So even if he had heard about the God of his slaves, he's got no reason, he thinks, to believe or care. Not yet anyways. And so the suggestion of Moses and Aaron to let his workforce suddenly sort of down tools at the drop of a hat or the drop of a staff... You can understand why Pharaoh, why Pharaoh is less enthusiastic about Moses' revelation of Yahweh at this point. And I, I will say this, it's a side note, folks. Pharaoh's ex- ignorance, it may seem like a valid excuse at the moment. It, it, it's not, and it won't be for long. In fact, we're going to look at it next week. Yahweh gives him personal, up-close view of the extent of his power and authority. But as I said, that's next week. But look first at what Pharaoh does in response to this revelation First, he rejects God, and then he pulls the classic moves of someone who, or anyone who rejects God's authority. What's his classic moves? First, he accuses Yahweh's messenger. Chapter 5, verse 4. Moses and Aaron, why are you taking the people away from their work? Second move, he accuses Yahweh's people. 5, verse 8. Lazy! That's what you are. That's why you're believing all this nonsense that Moses and Aaron are spouting here. It's because you've got too much time on your hands. You're lazy. He accuses God's messenger. He accuses God's people. And then lastly, what does he try to do? Pharaoh tries to reassert his own authority in the situation over God's messenger, over God's people. Effectively, he's trying to exert his own authority over Yahweh himself by making life hard. Now, we we heard it read. We saw it acted out. How does he do that? He essentially doubles their work. Pharaoh decides in chapter 5, verse 7, no longer is he going to provide Israelite slaves with straw to make their bricks. No, get it yourselves. Get your own straw from now on, but you still need to make the same amount of bricks. In fact, if you don't, we'll beat you for it. It's a classic response from Pharaoh here. He rejects, he accuses, he tries to reassert his own authority. He tries to break down Israel's spirit, their newfound or revitalized worship of Yahweh by making life difficult. Again, folks, there's a couple of things to notice here that have direct import into our own experience as Christians today. If you're a Christian here today, notice this. Pharaoh's response, it's not an isolated response. He's not the only person in history who's ever done this. I mean, is this not the same response of anyone and everyone who presently rejects the God of the Bible? Pharaoh's question is their question too, isn't it? Who is Yahweh that I should obey him? Who is Yahweh that I should obey him? Have you not heard people ask effectively that question? Have you never asked that question yourself? Let me say, you should. (laughs) In fact, perhaps you're here today because that very question is interesting you. Who is this Yahweh that I should obey him? I want to say, terrific, terrific if you are, 
That's great. Because it's not asking the question that is problematic. I want to encourage everybody, if you've never asked that question before, ask that question. Who is Yahweh that I should obey him? The important thing to do is answer it well. That's the more important thing. Ask the question, but answer it well. Because to put it simply, if the God of the Bible is real, and I want to say there's plenty of evidence available to give you an adequate warrant for believing that he is, then the only sensible and rational response would be believing, would be bowing down and would be worshipping, wouldn't it? If the God of the Bible is real, and if this God of the Bible is Yahweh, and he's revealed himself through history as the powerful, the personal, the relational, the promise-making, promise-keeping creator of the universe, if that's who he is, then ignorance or refusal like Pharaoh's, like, let's be honest, so many self-assured atheists of our day and age, that's beyond foolish. That's actually self-destructive. That actually won't work out well for the individual. Again, we'll see it played out with Pharaoh. So what should Moses and Israel do with Pharaoh's response? In fact, what should you do if you're a Christian here today, what should you do when those in powerful positions or decision-making positions, maybe at your work, maybe in your family, maybe your place of study, those with decision-making power in government uh, positions, what do we do when these people make life harder because you're a Christian, based on their rejection of, of Yahweh's authority? What do you do when that happens? Because again, it likely will. In fact, some of you know this personally already. Some of you have experienced firsthand rejection by others because you follow Jesus. Some of you have had your work situation change significantly, either been overlooked for work or lost your job altogether or just treated poorly at work because you stand for Jesus. Some of you have lost friendships. Some of you even find yourself estranged from family and at or at least grossly misunderstood by family because you choose to follow Christ. So I'm not just sort of um, speaking about some airy-fairy thing in theory here. I know that there are people here who know exactly what I'm speaking of. I'm not quite sure what the equivalent of get your own straw and make your own bricks, but make sure there's the same number. I'm not quite sure what that experience or that moment will be for you personally. But I want to tell you, given that we will live in a world who is full of people who reject God out of hand like Pharaoh, you should expect this moment to come. You should expect that if you stand with God, it may make your life more difficult in the present. What do you do with that? <laughs> what was Israel's response to Pharaoh's mistreatment of them? Had Pharaoh, actually, let's think about it this way. Had Pharaoh's rejection of Moses and rejection of Moses' message, had that changed Yahweh's authority in the slightest? Not even close. I mean, Pharaoh had some authority here. He could change their working conditions at this point. And he did make it harder for Israel. But did it somehow undo or undermine the promises of deliverance that Yahweh had just reaffirmed? Heck No. And yet, what do we learn about Israel's response? Look at it in Exodus 5, 19 and 21. 
This is how they respond. The Israelite overseers realised they were in trouble when they were told, you must, uh, sorry, you are not to reduce the number of bricks required for each day. When they left Pharaoh, they found Moses and Aaron awaiting to meet them and they said, may Yahweh, they used that name, may the Lord Yahweh look on you and judge you. You have made us obnoxious to Pharaoh and his officials and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. You hear their response? At the first sign of opposition, at the first sign of difficulty, Israel, who just moments ago believed and bowed down and worshipped, now they reject and effectively curse Moses and by extension reject and curse Yahweh along with him. And worse than that, this response it creates a domino effect in Moses who likewise then regresses back to his old ways of wrong expectations and Moses' excuses. In fact, look at 5, 22 and 23. Look at Moses' immediate response. Chapter 5, verse 22, Moses returned to Yahweh and said, Why, Lord, have you brought trouble on this people? Is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh, in your name, he has brought trouble on this people and you've not rescued your people at all. What's happening here, folks? Well, not only Israel have forgotten the promises they just believed, but Moses has forgotten everything that God has convinced him of too. Why'd you send me? You haven't even rescued your people at all. Now, Mike made mention of this in the kids' talk, and it's a helpful thing to recognize. You see Moses' expectation, you haven't even rescued your people at all, even though God has told him twice previously that Pharaoh will not listen the first time. Mark these down and look at them later. 3 verse 19, 4 verse 21. I'm not going to read them now, but here God is giving Moses, when he reveals who he is and he reveals his plan, he gives him enough information to know how it will play out. Pharaoh will not let you go, lest a mighty hand forces him. But Moses has forgotten. In the moment of opposition, in the moment of hardship, he forgets the promise. And anyway, he goes back to the old excuse, me no talk good. (laughs) So why would Pharaoh listen to me? 6.12 he says it, 6.30 he says it. Now I want to ask friends, can, can you identify with Moses and the Israelites here? Can you identify with this if you've been a Christian for a little time or a long time? Can you identify with the seasons of doubt when you thought you were trusting God? You thought you could expect a certain result in your life. You thought the best way was obvious and attainable. It's right there, achievable. And then somehow it all went to pot and you're left asking God, why? Why did it happen this way? Why did you allow this? Why didn't you stop this? Why didn't you make that outcome rather than this outcome? Friends, can you identify with those seasons of doubt when you thought you were just getting the hang of this walking with God business like Moses, just starting to put your faith in action through decisions, just starting to make the changes in your life at great cost, you know, starting to take God seriously, and then the bottom falls out. And what seems so clear just moments ago doesn't seem so clear anymore. Do you understand that season? I mean, if you have ever experienced doubt like this, you're not alone. I want to say this is a genuine experience of being a Christian. But check out God's response to Moses. This is magnificent. Notice how God responds 
when, sorry, did I get that right? Notice how God responds when Moses forgets. God doesn't flip his lid. Doesn't change his tune. Notice he never once justifies his actions or inactions to Moses as if he needs to give an account to him about what he's doing. No way. What does God do? Simple. He reminds Moses again. Check it out with me. Have a look at 6 verse 1. Again, the very next verse. Then Yahweh said to Moses, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of his country. And then God continues to remind Moses of everything else he's already said. 6 verse 2, I am who I am. Moses, that's my name. 6 verse 3, Moses, I appeared to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. I'm that same relational, historical, covenantal God. In fact, 6 verse 4, I established a covenant to give you the land of Canaan. 6 verse 5, I have heard the groanings of my people. And then look at this from 6 verse 6 to 8. God uses the phrase, I will, seven times, outlining and reaffirming his promise to act, reminding Moses of everything he needs to know, believe and focus on in trust. I will, I will, I will, I will. I don't know what I'm up to, but I've got to get to seven. I will, he says. What I'm trying to get you to see here, folks, is really important because here we see that God does not just reveal himself to his people, He doesn't just reveal to us his grand plan, reveal how we should respond, but he graciously reminds us when we forget, and that is important. Our God is Yahweh. He is the great I Am, and he reveals and he reminds his people, and this is good news because we don't know and we forget. (laughs) The truth is, We don't know what he doesn't reveal and we forget often even what he does. And we see here this fact of God revealing and reminding in Moses through through Exodus. In fact, for us, we get even a better vantage point. We get to see God revealing and reminding, reminding people, most specifically in Jesus. Friends, this is why I'm a Christian. This is why I'm a Christian. It's why I want to encourage you either to become one if you're not or grow in one if you are. Why? Because who did Jesus reveal himself to be? Time and time again, who does Jesus reveal himself to be? In the gospel accounts, by his words, by his action and his authority over sickness, over demons, over nature, over death. Time and time again, the disciples recalled all the evidence of what they saw, of what they marveled at of what they knew only God could do, that Jesus did. So much so that they began to acknowledge actually Jesus as the Christ, God's chosen one, the prophesied forever king. In fact, you remember Peter's famous uh, and then infamous little moment in Mark eight twenty nine should come up on the screen. Jesus says, who do people say I am? Ah, oh, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, some say one of the prophets from old. And then Jesus says, who do you say that I am? Peter answers, you're the Messiah. And he was right. And then Jesus tells him what it means that he's the Messiah, that he is the chosen one of God, that he is the anointed one, that he is the prophesied forever king. When he says, yes, this is who I am, 
And it means that I'll suffer. It means that I'll be rejected by the Jews. It means I will be killed and rise and rise again on three days later. Peter, who just nailed the answer on Jesus' identity, then tries to rebuke Jesus. He doesn't like Jesus' plan. <laughs> you see, Jesus reveals. And though he reveals, we forget. I mean, Peter forgot in a moment. Wow. And it wasn't the only time the disciples muffed it. Despite spending three years in Jesus' presence, despite having him teach and reveal the truth of God's deliverance plan for humanity, time and time again, when opposition rose, when life got hard, when it all seemed a little bit confusing, they stumbled over and over again. But I want you to listen. I want you to focus in on Jesus' final words to his disciples after his resurrection. Listen again to how what he reveals and what he reminds of the overarching reality of all things. Have a look at this. Matthew 28, beginning at 18. Often we go straight for 19 and 20. Look at Matthew 28, 18. Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. There's the revealing again. This is who Jesus is. He has just been crucified, died, buried, risen from the dead. And he reveals again through this. He tells them explicitly through this. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He reveals. He's the reminder. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. You see, Jesus reveals and reminds. The same I am, the same God who reveals and reminds time and time again, graciously through the Exodus, is the same God who reveals and reminds through Jesus. Friends, as we wrap up this morning, the question I want to ask you is, if you're here and you're not a Christian, then let me ask you, what is God revealing to you? What is God revealing to you about his character, about his authority, about his power, about his care, about his concern? Because if you've never realized it before, then realize that now you live in Yahweh's world. You live under Yahweh's authority, under his jurisdiction, and ignorance is no excuse because everything you need to know about Yahweh, about this God, has been revealed and reminded in Jesus. It's God revealing to you by his spirit through his word. And if you're here today and you are already a Christian, then, hey, he might be revealing some things again for you through his word. But let me ask you, what is God reminding you of from his word today? What is God reminding you about his timing? What's he reminding you about his promises? What's he reminding you about his call for your trusting obedience even when times are tough? We worship Yahweh, the great I am. He reveals, he reminds. In fact, friends, there's three questions you can ask each other after the last song. You want a conversation? You want something that goes beyond just the how's the weather? Did you hear the footy results? Yeah, it's good weather we're having. You want to get past that little bit of surfacey stuff? Ask these questions. What's God revealing to you through his word? What's God reminding you of? And the third question, what are you going to do with that now? Ask each other that after the service, would you? Let me pray.
Heavenly Father, uh, look, it is magnificent to be able to read your word, to be able to see again through it how you reveal yourself through the history of Israel, through your interactions with your people. And you don't just reveal it once, but you remind us constantly. And we need that help, Father. We're sorry that we forget. We're sorry that in the midst of trial and hardship, we lose sight of the big picture of your purposes and your plans. And so now again, we thank you for not just your revelation, but your reminding. And we thank you of it for it rather in Jesus, who reminds us that all authority is his in heaven and on earth, that we should therefore go and make disciples of all nations, knowing what you taught, that we might obey you. And we pray, Father, that you would help us to do this by your spirit, for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name, amen.